Welcome to We Are All Americans, conversations about how family stories are passed down from generation to generation and what it means to be American in the context of multiculturalism, immigration, military service, Black Lives Matter, white privilege, and indigeneity. I'm your host, Michelle Jacquis, and today's episode was recorded with Maria Laura Hendricks in her studio at the Culver City campus of Otis College of Art and Design. Tell me how you decided you wanted to participate in this conversation. I actually decided, you know, last year there was a student here, and she mentioned that you were doing this, This, uh, she says, you, you know you really should contact Michelle, she's doing something about your history that I think you would really, uh, or not your history, but about immigrants, and mm-hmm. your history, or your story sounds really interesting Was it to the me. grad student who just... Who came by when I first got here? No, no, oh, no. Oh, a different one. It's okay. a different one. So, so then I thought, oh, well, because she said, don't you TA for her? I said, yeah, I do. And But then I got busy and I didn't think about it. Yeah. And then I noticed that you posted a couple of interviews and I listened to them. And they were really interesting. But even then I wasn't ready. I guess I didn't feel comfortable talking about my history mm. yet. Mm-hmm. And as I was doing the research for my for my current work, I realized that it was important. It was important for maybe others to hear my story, but also important for me to acknowledge my story. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the, and I saw another post that you posted, and I went, oh, maybe. And I think I took it and, 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 and without questioning it too much because I knew that maybe I would have talked myself out of it. <laughs> so I felt like I, it needs to yeah. happen because it seems important because it keeps coming back. You keep mm-hmm. being attracted to these, you know. Yeah. And so I thought I, I need to. And it does now seeing the work that you're making and the research you're doing about your family history and where they, when they first came here, mm-hmm. where they started working and where they still yes. work. Yeah, it does relate. <laughs> and so that, that's why all of a sudden it's like, oh, I am one of the, you know, I'm one of the people that you're talking about in your podcast. And, and, but I think it really, it really resonated with me in regards to just making sure that I, not making sure, but that I was comfortable with who I was and that I could let others know my story. Yeah. And I think that was really, um, really important for me because I think to some degree based on who was around how much could I let out where do they stand politically where do they Mm. sometimes you just don't say anything yeah because I could see it I can sense it but there was also this part of me it's like but if I keep quiet then I felt like like I was giving into something that that fear of, of uh, maybe people not liking me because I am that particular. I am mm. that. I am the yeah. other. And <laughs> I understand that a lot. Like I've I've thought about that in making this project and in having these conversations. That I've realized my impetus is to try to counter the xenophobia that I've seen rise and because of the Trump administration, but also in the global refugee crisis. Yes. And or it was really in the right wing kind of white nationalist movement where people were saying, oh, the Jews are funding the migrant caravan. I think it had to do with the 
the, that mm-hmm. slogan, Jews will not replace us. And so I had this moment of, okay, do I hide my ancestry? Or do I just embrace it and take in every migrant I can and be the one that they think, <laughs> like, let, like, and so I was like, okay, well, I can't bring in the migrants. Like, I have well, no funds or space for that, but I could maybe do something else, right? So my result is like, well, I, I'm an artist. I can make art that tries to counter the xenophobia, but I, but, but I understand that, like, do you hide out of self-preservation or do you just embrace it and be unapologetically Unapologetic, yes. who you are? And I think that was part of it. And, and it may have, and I know it has a lot to do with me finding information about my, yeah. my history and, and coming to terms that I have been historically oppressed. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that kind of coming to what do I have to fear then? Yeah. When we came to the United States, my parents had to make a choice to leave everything they knew mm-hmm. and come to a country where they didn't speak the language, where, how are they going to take care of us? Mm-hmm. And initially, he came before we did. Mm. And tell he, me, what country were so you all I, in? We before? were in Mexico, mm-hmm. and there was four of us who were born in Mexico and then four born in the United States. Mm. There's a total of eight siblings. And my mom and dad, and the when when he came over, he came over in the nineteen oh nineteen seventy four. Maybe he came over and he found a job. Mm-hmm. How did he find a job? He knew of a friend from his hometown who had just been placed in Limonera, mm. a company working in, in Santa Paula, and so he was able to. He'd been given housing. Mm-hmm. and full-time job so therefore he felt that he could bring a family over so he brought us over so 1976 we came over how old were you at I the time? I was 76 uh, 6, 7 years old mm-hmm. so we came here and I started school maybe a year later like by the time they figured things out they realized, okay, I need to start school. I think I started school seven and a half years mm. old. And I was lucky enough, I, and I say lucky, that I was put in a um, dual immersion program, mm. which is at the time I have this very fond memory of, the, and I call him professor because he was a professor. He was Dr. James, uh, was my first teacher from, from, for three years. You remember your first elementary school teacher's name? I remember name? his name, and why, I don't know, but there was this fond memory because he he was, he was spoke Spanish to me, mm-hmm. but he also taught me English because mm-hmm. half the day was as a dual immersion. I, I learned the lesson 50, in Spanish, 50-50. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, after three years of being in his class, he says to me, you're ready we can put you in the mainstream. And that was so traumatic for me because that meant that I was no longer going to be in his class. I was moved to another class where the teacher only spoke English. Mm. And I remember being like, I'm not ready. I don't know the language. I don't understand what anyone is saying still. Mm. 
but somewhere in that summertime, and I think I always think it's like when you when I started fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade, I remember being aware that I understood English and being like my mind's blown away because all of a sudden I heard an extraneous conversation happening in a crowd and going like, I know what they're saying. Oh my gosh. And you no longer have to translate. And I no longer have to translate. Mm. That was pretty a pretty amazing moment. But then from there on, my Spanish was never spoken in, in a classroom again. Mm. So I went through the rest of my education only speaking English. I was in the regular English classes. And so that was, now thinking back, I realized how in essence traumatic it was for me mm. because my language became English mm-hmm. and my Spanish little by little was kind of diminishing mm. even though I speak it still and I try to hold on to it but it's that sense of there was no place to use it except at home but even at home by that time all my siblings spoke English Yeah, so we could speak amongst ourselves just in English and Spanish r- rarely. And and how much were your parents speaking English at that None. point? Okay, did they so, ever learn it? No. Uh. My mom still does not know. I think she understands more than she lets on, but I, she she does not speak it. And uh, my So then you and your siblings had like this secret language, which as kids and as teenagers, kids, it's probably we could have to have. coded very much, and I think we we would have all these conversations, coded uh, conversations. Yeah. So if if my mom did pick up on a on a word, we knew to code it, and mm. and, and then the conversation can continue. So I remember that, and I, I remember that very much. But um, in particular to my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband, <laughs> his name is Dale, and. She knew, she picked on quickly enough that every time I talked about Dale, I would be giggly, like a giggly girl. So he became D, and she never discovered who D was. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think. Now she, she may now know, but, or, or Dale, because Dale and Dale, Dale is to yeah, give you, in Spanish. So uh-huh. she would say, oh, what are you giving? What are you giving, she would say. Uh, so when we came here... Um, it's interesting that we, we we came here, we went to school, we, in essence, made our life here. I didn't realize that at the time my parents could never go back to their country because by then they had filed paperwork to for permanent residency mm. and it wouldn't allow for them to, to leave. What did they tell you about why you were leaving? When we made the trek to here, it was just my mother and my siblings. Yeah. My father was already here. And the only thing I was told is that we were going to go meet my dad. Hmm. So we were brought by a neighbor at the ranch, a neighbor, an American citizen. She went and picked us up. So we made the trek from Michoacan to TJ. Uh huh. She went to TJ, put us in her car, and came to the United States. Uh-huh. Now, of course, I didn't think anything wrong with it, and for the longest time I thought, well, we didn't break any laws because we made it through the front door. So when they talked about immigrants or illegal immigrants, I was like, 
I don't know who they're, you know, they're not talking about me. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and by then, my father had a working permit. Mm-hmm. So he, he had a social security so he can work. And so then my mother eventually got hers and she had to start working. I didn't find out about our situation, our illegal situation, until I was about to apply. I made it through high school, and then one day I said, Dad, I want to go to college. Mm -hmm. First I thought that he said no because he can't afford it. Yeah. And we couldn't afford it, and I knew that, but he was adamant that I was not going to college, that he had allowed me to go to high school, and I should be happy about that. Wow. And so I was like, but I want to go to college. It's community college because I know you're not going to let me go away to college. So maybe my, my thought was, well, if I say that I'm, I'm willing to just go to community college, I'm okay with that. I just wanted more education. Right. And so I asked him, and he said, you can't go to college. And I, cause, because I asked him, can you give me my Social Security number? Because they're asking for that at the, you know. From, to apply for registration and he says I, you, you don't have one well I was told how to go get one where can we go register for it and mm. he's like you don't understand you can't get one mm. and so that was the first time so by then I'm 18 years old I'm devastated yeah I, it's my it's my senior year in, I mean in high school and I kind of quit like academically yeah I was like what's the point what's the point I'm not gonna go so I mean I didn't fail but I know that I did not do my best towards the end because it was like it's the end it's for, it's the end for me mm-hmm. somewhere I think in the in in the spring of my senior year my father comes to me and he says here's your paperwork we got permanent residence mm-hmm what does that mean? And I didn't even care what it meant. All I all I cared about was that now I had a social security number. Now you could go to college. Now I yeah. can go to college. So then the realis- also realizing that I have messed up because I my senior year grades were not what I expected. Right. And so in essence I had to when I started community college kind of start at the beginning again uh, to kind of build up on something that I had somehow. You know, I, I told you I went to middle school and high school in South Florida, and I remember when my friends and I were applying to college, at least one student that I distinctly remember who was from Columbia, that was also, at that time, was when her parents explained to her, you're not a citizen, sorry, you can't, we don't have the money, you can't. The understanding that we as high school students knew was that it was less about the social security card and more about we can't afford international tuition and you don't qualify for in-state tuition. But it may have been also a social security card issue. For me, I knew it was that card because I remember being asked for those numbers and going, what are those numbers? numbers, My phone number? That's the only number I know that yeah. that that had any that but I had not, any connection to. Not everybody gets. I mean, my son was given a social security card when he was born, mm-hmm. but I my social security card has my signature as like a elementary school person when I first learned cursive, and I re- very much remember 
when I got it because my mom was going on food stamps for us and we need everybody needed to have, needed the, to number. have the number for that mm-hmm. but my sister and I were born in the country so we were able it wasn't a big deal for her to go get it even mm-hmm. though it was not given to us when we first were born and that, that was really I remember being mm. really and then really connecting the, all the different points realizing that oh that's why you told me certain things about because he would say if you see immigration and back then there was a lot of immigration in our town I could remember seeing the, yeah. the cars and, oh, wow. and the green the, the green color even though you're so far from the border, but um, you're, there was a lot of immigrants because, because there was a lot of roundups, especially before pay period. There was a lot of roundups that would wow. uh, come in, and then and my father knew that very much. But he would say to me, "Whenever you see immigration, do not run." And I remember being maybe in middle school and coming across an immigration officer and next to donut shop going to school, and. It looks at me and I say, hello, officer. And I said something very, like, out of out of character for me mm. because I was, I felt myself very shy. But when I saw that officer, in, and I know that they were there to collect somebody, but I remember thinking, you don't scare me or I shouldn't feel mm. scared mm. because my mm. father says, do not show fear. And when you see immigration, do not run, do yeah. not do anything. And I didn't know why he was asking, why he would give me this information. But it is that sense of like, if you act like you're supposed to be here, they won't question you. And it was that yeah. kind of a thing. And mm. and I thought about it, and I always thought, I was like, that's a that is out of character for me to do. Mm. I would have just kind of slinked away. I would have yeah. rather have slinked away. The hindsight is that oh wow, I really should have been afraid. But at that moment, I showed no fear yeah. and. And it felt um, empowering, maybe. That's good. And I think he saw how important, my father saw how important it was for me to go to college, so he gave in to it. Yeah, it sounds, so it was your senior year that you said you want to go, and he said and you it, can't, but then behind the scenes he did the paperwork, he made it happen. He, I think it happened, because I know the application had been turned in many years, and it took forever, and we got our permanent residence, not, not a permanent, temporary residence. Yeah. I had to re- reassess that question about temporary or permanent residence at the time because by then by the time I was 21 I was getting married mm-hmm. and I needed to get an I needed we were going on my honeymoon so I needed my father says you can't go on a honeymoon because you can't leave the country what do you mean I can't leave the country what is what is happening now mm-hmm. so it come another one it was like because you're a temporary resident, you have to stay here until you get permanent residence. Mm. Then you're allowed to leave or travel or um, so that honeymoon doesn't have to be it out doesn't of the country. And I, but, but again, again, the, how naive I was as to my mm-hmm. my status in this country. Yeah, because I guess in some way I, I equated that because I was doing the things that seemed. Uh, like an American citizen did in my naive way. I'm going to school, I have a job, I'm paying taxes, I'm doing the things that are required of me. Right. But I'm not, what? (laughs) I'm not not allowed to leave the country. I don't have rights. I don't have Mm -hmm. um, realizing those kind of things. And, And really, 
you know, being being excited when I got the permanent residence card. Mm -hmm. It meant that now I had some freedom, mm -hmm. at least to leave the country, to travel, to do other things, and not be so afraid that I could be deported mm -hmm. or that, you know, you still had to kind of mind yourself and not be, I don't know, draw attention to yourself. I don't know. I got this feeling that you just didn't do those things. You right. didn't draw attention to yourself and you just keep your head down and you work hard. This is 1989 is when we got our permanent residence. Okay. The whole family at the mm -hmm. same time. That's good. Yeah. yeah. And so that was a different, exciting time and very... Um, I say exciting because all of a sudden we were working together as a family. We were all contributing. Mm -hmm. Our older the siblings were contributing to the family. We were financially felt a little more stable. Yeah. One of the things that for my dad, he, he fought against it his entire time here is that he didn't want a handout. He saw it, so we never, he would never apply for food stamps or, mm. or, or uh, welfare or anything. Mm -hmm. He kept saying, nope, we came to this country and we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. If you know whatever way we can, but we're not going to do that. And he was so adamant about that, and I never understood. I mean, like because I felt like we needed help. At yeah. sometimes, sometimes it was tough, and we had actually um, we had a neighbor who who worked for the for the food stamp or or, or welfare some some organization, and she occasionally would leave care packages mm. in our back mm -hmm. door um, because. She, she had no. She, I think she had one child, but she was like she would see us and it's like you have so many, you must need something, yeah. something. And so my mom always appreciated because I think my mom was more realistic as to my father was, you know, yeah, felt that he could provide for everything, but it was my mom day to day having to make sure that we had food and um, so. The company Limonera. 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 They it did a their agricultural company. Um, and what what kind of work did your parents do for them? Did both of them worked there? Yes. So my my father worked at Teak McKibbit Ranch. Was a part of the the company they own, or they own it now, or they've sold it now. They he worked there basically. As anything, so he picked strawberries, lemons, avocados, and when he needed to be, he was the trash man. When he needed to be, he was the gardener. Mm. Anything and everything that, as long as he kept working. Mm -hmm. So that's what he did. But he, you know, in essence, he was working always on the ranch, so he never had to go outside of it. Mm -hmm. We lived in the ranch. We He worked at the ranch. So in regards to transportation, like I said, we didn't have to rely on some, something else because... We can have one car, and that's fine. Um, and then my mom initially worked in the strawberry fields, mm -hmm. um, and then she eventually got hired at the packing house, which was about maybe 10 miles away from Santa Paula in the late 80s. Yeah. She started working there, which was great, though, because she went from not working in the field to actually... Well, I saw it. I thought it was great. You know, I don't know if it's great or not, but... She, she's she been working, and she still works there mm. to mm -hmm. this day. Um, what was it like as a kid living on the ranch? I would say freedom. So I know there's a yeah. wonderful sense of there was green everywhere. There was a sense of freedom. 
because you could run, you can ride your bikes, you can do all sorts of different things. And I think that's a lovely feeling about that. Mm. that in my mind, I thought that when I had children, my parents were still living there, that I would have wanted my children to live, to go and visit and, and go through the orchards and play yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and ride bikes and, and have a total freedom because there was no no cars, no, you know, there wasn't any particular danger. Uh-huh. Um, you can and there never, were lots of families, I would imagine, so lots of kids to play with. There was, yes. There was three neighborhoods, basically, mm. and each neighborhood had three had ten houses each. Mm. And then, of course, the homes in the front of the ranch where that was another neighborhood. But we rarely played with with those children. Why? We always, because it seems there was a sense of segregation. Mm. So you played within your neighborhood. Okay. And so since we were really in the back of the ranch, you you couldn't and partly also because you needed to be in you know in close enough to hear your mom calling you, so you cannot go further. Uh-huh. Uh, so if you can't hear your mom, you stay within your neighborhood and you know that within those 10 homes, mom yells, you can be home, you know. Right. You can be and, home quickly. And how was it decided who lived in which neighborhood? Um that I don't know. I think it really had to do with management just placed you in a home. Okay. And I know that we, as a family, we moved to each three of those neighborhoods. I remember when we first came to the country, we were way in the back. And it was the last home at the back of the, the ranch in the foothills. Yeah. That was, my, that was the first home. And then we got moved to the the front of that, you know, like, I don't know what numbers they were, but we went to the back, and then we got to the front of the house, mm. and that house was a little bigger, or by then we, there was more of us, I suppose, but, um, and then their last move, we moved to the middle neighborhood, mm-hmm. and that is where we stayed, I think, where I remember when I was maybe 12, till I was 21. Wow. And you were saying before we were recording that the ha- the houses at the front of the ranch at the entrance were larger and more of the management staff yes, lived there. So the way that the, the homes in the front were very there were Victorian, mm. small little um, little Victorian homes really. And they were kept very well mm-hmm. all the way to the front and that was typically that manager uh, supervisor housing. Mm-hmm. And then the employees or the laborers were um, the housing was towards the back of the ranch, and there was race segregation. You said too, yes. Yeah, and 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 I I mean that could have just been manage management was typically white. Mm. Um, laborers were. Um, I can't claim that they were all Mexican. They could have been other nationalities, but mm-hmm. predominantly there was a uh, Mexicans. Do you have memory of of life in Mexico? Yes. What was, how does that compare? How does that compare? I, I would t- I'll tell you a story that um, in Mexico, my parent, my father was a farmer, um, subsistence farmer maybe, because I know that it wasn't his land, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the, the reasons why he, he decided to, to bring us to the United States is that he couldn't survive the way it was. It, it was, we didn't have our own home. We lived with 
his family, his family was very large, so we had a room for our family in mm. their home. So therefore, he needed, he was, he was the oldest of 13. Wow. But in Mexico, I remember, I remember the, the fact that our laundry place was the river. Mm. Every day, I would have to go and take the, the nistamal for the tortillas and take it to the grinders to get the, the masa for mm-hmm. for tortillas. So by then I was old enough to do chores. I was a babysitter. I was old enough to do things. That mm-hmm. at, at a very young age you start doing things. You start yeah. helping out. You don't. What I have recollection of is that I was always not necessarily being a kid. You I was, had responsibilities. I had responsibilities to do a lot of things. Yeah. And so I remember that always, always being. Mm in charge of something mm, mm-hmm. and so I remember that and I remember that also the fact that in Mexico um, we didn't have a, a bathroom mm. you go out and uh, some people find fascinating to go camping and dig your own hole I do not find <laughs> that at all exciting <laughs> that is something that I do not particularly care to ever do no that was my life. That is not yeah, something I, think I care to. It is interesting. It's a very different thing when you're doing it for a weekend vacation versus living that way in real life all the time. And re- yes, and to me, it's like mm-hmm. that. I don't find that at all fascinating. To me, it's like that is real life. That is not going on a vacation. <laughs> and so, and also the fact that yes, we we were poor, very poor. Mm-hmm. So, say for instance, I realized that when we stayed in and Tijuana and TJ waiting for cross. Mm-hmm. We stayed with, not relatives, but maybe someone we knew from the town who lived there. Mm-hmm. I remember it being on the hill, somewhere rundown area, mm-hmm. but being fascinated that they had an outhouse. Mm-hmm. That it was like, I needed to go to the bathroom and then they told me it's in the backyard, so I'm, I'm ready to Just do go my in thing. The backyard, like, and then yeah. it's like, what is that? How do you? Oh wow! How, what do you? And, and I remember being like, "This is fancy. Wow! Why can't we do that in our place?" Uh-huh. And then, of course, we come to the United States, and in our the first home that I remember, I'm fascinated because there's this porcelain. You have actual plumbing. There's plumbing in the house, and I remember being fascinated by a toilet, but the sound scared me. Mm. So I was terrified wow. of yeah. the sound. Yeah. And especially at night. So I was like, I wouldn't. It's one of those things where it's like people think, don't think twice about it. But to me, it scared the heck out of me. I don't know why. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, even to this day, sometimes it's like, no, I don't know. The sound at night scares me. Of a toilet. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. But it sounds so, so but silly. A, but But as a kid, you were six or seven at this uh, point yeah. to have never it, heard it before. I can understand. It is like, it, oh my It gosh. sounds like everything is being sucked into. Like I was afraid that I would be, it's right, that I, of course, wow, and yeah. by then you're, you're standing, you're not sitting, so therefore, but there's still that fear that it, it, I could feel the force and the strength of, of yeah. that happening because I've told these stories to my children yeah, and they can't believe it. Sometimes they're like, 
you got to be kidding me. I said, no, it's, it's really seriously, I'm telling you the truth. This is how it was. They find it funny that I, I was that old before I actually saw mm. a toilet, <laughs> you know, or that now I had indoor plumbing, mm-hmm. water, you know, that laundry can be done in the house. Mm-hmm. And we had an old-fashioned 1950s washer mm-hmm. where you mm-hmm. had to put the clothes to kind of wring it through the... Yeah, the but still, like, that felt, like, oh, fancy. And especially having that many children. And Saturday was a whole... It was laundry day. Yeah, you, and that's a lot. And that's a lot of laundry to do. So definitely you can see that there was a difference in regards to, wow, this is yeah. pretty fancy. Mm-hmm based on where where I had come from but in reality it was pretty basic it was really basic because mm-hmm. then when you start considering that the home was single um, it had no insulation it was just a single wall construction mm-hmm. just basic as can be and how, how many bedrooms it had um, one, two, three bedrooms uh-huh. three bedrooms um, with ten of you, with ten of us, one bathroom. Mm-hmm. Imagine always one bathroom. You live in ten mm-hmm. people, and you make it happen. I have no idea how it happened, but it worked. So there wasn't a lot of space for you to really move around or have to yourself. No dining room. So then there was a small living room. You know, you put a sofa, a small mm-hmm. table, a kitchen that's kind of walk through to everything else. Yeah. Um, so it's it was very fairly small. So yes, which I think that was my idea of. I felt like I had so much space because when you looked out outside, you saw the sky, and the sky was limitless. So it, it felt like I didn't feel restricted or that I didn't have enough or whatever because there was a sense that I kind of had it all by by yeah. having the space outside. Yeah. So I think about that often. That. Maybe that wouldn't have been the case had we lived in the city, in in the proper city, not outside, not on the outside yeah. outskirts of the town, but because then we would have probably more than likely ended up in an apartment type complex. And then you don't have a yard to you run don't, in. Right. There's other things that would have, yeah. and part I think I've often thought about it that maybe I mean the way that I think about it is that somehow there was a, a safety mechanism being in the ranch even though I it's something I also think about it that sometimes it was restrictive because you were kind of you know a fence within a fence you're you're protected but then you can't really trap there was a sense of that Mm. but then I often think about the potential dangers of living in in a larger town of because I saw, I would see my classmates and the things that they were getting into and the troubles that they were that potentially could have ha- you know happened uh, to us yeah. too. So there was also there was a lot of social pressure to belong, to be part of, to be doing something, um, which I didn't feel that because you're going to school in town with and then people leaving who don't live on the yeah. ranch, yeah, and and then you're coming back to the ranch and you're this very small community that was very. Um, Neighbors kept an eye on everybody mm-hmm. to the point of, oh my gosh, you can't do anything without someone already knowing. It's like a commune. Yes. Yeah. So you were always like, how does my mom know about... I just walked down the street. 
oh my gosh because every neighbor's looking out their window to see what you're up to to it so there was that sense of yeah my gosh people you know get a life but no it was it that's just the way yeah that, that I guess maybe I would imagine as a parent it's incredible to know that there's that many other eyes on your kids and you know you feel safe letting them run around and know they're not going to get in trouble but as a teenager it's like oh, well as a teenager okay so I'll tell you also that there was there was that but there was also this other sense of as a teenager there was uh, there was this extra pressure put on us to be a specific way to behave a certain way because they did not want to hear the gossip of us misbehaving <laughs> so there was yeah. a lot of pressure put on us, I think, to to be doing the right thing. Yeah. To know, and so it was difficult to some way to just be you, even yeah. in that environment. So that as idyllic as it was on some levels, there was a lot of scrutiny, mm-hmm. a magnifying glass kind of thing, that I felt like it was happening there. Where I don't know, maybe in in, in a larger city where the neighbors don't care. Maybe not paying attention. Yeah, yeah. So there was a yeah. Mm. So there's that double kind of um, sense of it was awesome, but then there was like, you know, don't you have a life? Why do you have to be <laughs> noticing what I'm up to? Were there ever moments where they felt like you had to be model immigrants too? Yes, I think that was more my father because I he would always I remember him saying you know. We're in the United States. You speak English. Wow. Now, uh, granted, he did not, but <laughs> I. It was this this kind of um, expectance, uh, expectation put on the children. Mm-hmm. Again, and I think that was partly also why he, in some way, gave in to me going. I was asking for an education, mm. so he gave in to that. But also because I think he saw that with the education, I went from working in the fields, which was my first job working with them, strawberry, chiles, and mm-hmm. uh, walnuts. Mm. Now, eventually, I, I learned that, oh, I can work at, you know, I can get out of the field and work somewhere else. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that was because now I had a little bit of education. I can speak the language. I can do. So I think I remember him after me having a little bit of it. You know, college education, going from like, oh, now I can be a receptionist, which it's it's a job. Mm-hmm. To him, it was like, wow, you're working in an office. Yeah, you went so, from blue. Uh, I'm working blue collar to white collar, or whatever. The right. Phrase is, so right? whatever that mm. phrase is, but to him, it was like, I mm. see the importance of education. Mm-hmm. So when my sisters came up, you know, as they were following me, they're like. They need to go to school. Yeah. And then it became an expectation for them. Oh, yeah. I don't know how they feel about that. Maybe <laughs> now they're going like, you put the bar up here, now mm-hmm. dang it, now we have to follow. Cause what, do you, what do you think it means to be an American? That's, <laughs> I, I would say on a basic level, if I were to think, well, what does it mean when you think of American, um, the American dream? I would say, well, it means that you're going to come here and succeed, but what does that mean? And to me, I think, was getting an education, Mm -hmm. partly an education because it gives you options. 
and those options are important in order for you to to make a way in this world I suppose, make your way in this world but what does it mean to be an American it's it's tough because I think with the work that I'm doing on in regards to identity I've come to realize at some level I can do all the things that culturally or, or society wants me to be an upstanding citizen mm -hmm. but in some levels I've come to realize that certain sectors of the, of the population will not see me as I will always be less than not enough of mm. I've, I'm hearing those terms that, that, that I realize that what does it mean to be an American and then for me I would say not so much looking at some, what else someone else is going to label me as mm -hmm. but I think for me it means that you, you I would say wow it's hard how do you say it how does it mean what does it mean to be an American I guess to me it's someone who works hard who I, I don't know that's alright it's a hard it is a hard question it's a hard question because I have to define something that I've been trying to be Mm, but I mm. can't seem to do things. Do, do enough you, do you of. Feel like you are an American, but I, I feel but not everybody's seeing you that way. Sometimes, mm. and I'll tell you, kind of, and I don't. And maybe this will answer it. When I became a U.S. citizen, mm. I took an oath. I took an oath to uphold the the laws of this country, to to be a certain type of upstanding citizen. Right. And when I took that oath, I felt a privilege, a privilege that not many have. Yeah. Now, of course, every citizen who's been born here has that privilege. But for me, it felt on a different level. I had to do an extra step. I had to jump through other hoops in order to prove to somebody that I was qualified enough I suppose mm -hmm. or to to be accepted as a US citizen and I felt pride when I I when I put my hand over my heart and I and I took the oath there was a sense of I am an American mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yes I guess on some levels I feel but I took an oath to prove to someone yeah, <laughs> that I yeah. wanted to really be in this country. How old were you when you did that? I was 27. Uh -huh. So quite aware of it. And why did I become a US citizen at that particular time? Again, because there was immigration law that was trying to retroactively remove the permanent residency. And there was a panic that I would, mm -hmm. by then I had children, I had my first kid. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid that there was potentially I could be deported if that if those immigration laws were reversed, or yeah. there was a fear in and the nineties. Was, was your husband born here? Yes, he's yeah. a U.S. citizen. So, when I 
when I married him, I, there was this part of me that said I didn't want, because there was, in my family, there was a lot of talk about, oh, you just married an American citizen to gain citizenship. But, yeah. And I was very proud of the fact that, no, I did not marry him for that. I will yeah. wait my turn until, after gaining my permanent residency, I had to wait 10 years before I could apply for citizenship. Mm. Or There was specific rules, so I was waiting for those <laughs> for that time period yeah. to come by so that I can apply for my citizenship. Uh-huh. There was also a, a law stating that if you'd been married for so long, you could use them to file your uh, your yeah. citizenship. Well, at the time, I, uh, the doctor that I was, I was a reception, I was working with the doctor, he's the one that kind of prompted me to get my citizenship. Mm. His fear was, he goes, oh no, with this new crazy... He didn't things. want to lose you. As he an says, employee. "I do not want to lose you as an employee." So yeah. he he hired me a lawyer mm. to get all my citizenship paperwork, and I, I would say that is an amazing gift as as an employer to give me. Yeah. And to this day, he's still a friend of mine. Wow. That I I consider you know a friend that who who was who put such thought and and like and I know on some level it was he was just about his job he didn't want to lose the receptionist or whatever but there was also this sense of he valued me on some level that and he feared and I and at that time I don't know that I was feeling the fear mm-hmm. that I was like I'm I don't feel threatened you should feel threatened because if it happens then imagine the things that could happen yeah Th- this is 1997 when I became mm-hmm. um, a U.S. citizen yeah. And I had, and, and, and I was ignorant to what was going on. I was so busy with my own life trying to go to school and be a mom and being married that I wasn't paying attention to politics. And in retrospect, you benefited from go, doing it at that time. If you had waited four more years, it would have been so much harder. Yeah. Right? Yes. And that's, the, that's one of those things that is it's a scary thought. Yeah. To consider that, that for whatever reason things happened and it had to, you know, yeah. and it, that, that it took someone else being afraid for me, yeah. for me to take that step. I think for the longest time, I think a lot of immigrants have become permanent residents. They stay as permanent residents. They don't mm. necessarily, maybe, because the, then the idea is, well, to apply to become citizens is too, too difficult, too hard, too expensive. Yeah, all these things. And then there's also with certain countries that you can't have dual citizenship with the fact that you've got to renounce your home country. Yes, which I never did. That was one thing that I think I was for the longest time. I think when after getting my permanent residency, I I was I was conflicted. Do Mm. I do I denounce my citizen? What does that mean if I? Yeah, denounced my citizenship to to the country where I was born, and I didn't know what that meant. But I knew I didn't want to, mm-hmm. and I think it became even more important for me to be a U.S. citizen when I had my first child. Mm-hmm. I didn't uh, the fear of being deported, the to fear se- yeah, to be separated from to be kids. separate. That was the the and, and as as we see what's happening, yeah, in current times it is frightening to think about it and it's you know so so that's something that 
I'm really thankful that I, I did it and that at least that particular little bit of some some uh, sense of permanence I suppose mm -hmm. then it, it meant that I really was here that I really was now yeah a even part though you've of been this. here pretty much your whole life yes but there's this, always a sense that you're not part of it yeah you are yeah. not part of the culture you're not you're you're a visitor in some way you're yeah, yeah. a stranger in, in, in others and so to say, okay, well, now I'm a citizen. Mm -hmm. I can vote. I can actually now voice yeah. my opinion and the responsibility that comes with that. Right. Because I did not realize that the minute that I said yes and then I can vote in the next, and my first election was 98, uh, to think about the, the implications of that. Yeah. All of a sudden, it seemed like I had something at stake. Yeah. You know, it's like my, my children coming of age during this last and being able to vote and going mm -hmm. like, why did you make it out to be such an amazing thing that this is such a, a privilege to have? The choices are horrible, Mom. And, and my son <laughs> saying, you made it out to be like, this is something that every American has. I said, because every American has the right to do You yeah. have the right to do it. I didn't say you have to, but you have the right to do it. And then my, now my third one will be able to vote, and the discussions around that. Yeah. And uh, though I try to say no discussions of politics at the table because we realize that we start getting pretty heated. It's like, and you can see the divisions of how everyone feels about it. But it's also a positive thing that to have to be able to have a dialogue with right. with your kids about stuff that's that's important for their futures. What are you? fearful of and what are you hopeful for? I think one of the things that kind of scares me and, and, and I know that it probably has a lot to do with, with the politics of now is the idea that a lie can take hold. Mm. And no matter how much knowledge you throw at it and, and how um, a voice I mean how many voices are, are speaking against that particular lie that it can it can take hold mm. and it is so difficult to to bring it down mm -hmm. and to show it as it truly is as a lie that yeah. scares me. And maybe because I've lived a little longer and you see um, regimes that take hold, mm -hmm. dictators that come in, and I hear a lot of the same jargon being bounced around, and you go, yeah. does not, why does, that, why do not people, I mean, why do people not hear, see what's happening, why, why, and I see it also because, and, and I don't know if I'm because I'm in this particular place in graduate school where I've been I've been taught and I'd say I've been taught to be a critical reader mm -hmm. where I am not longer no longer just browsing or getting the gist of things I'm wanting to really be um, 
you know, educate myself or, 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 or really give myself as much information about something as I possibly can to make an, an opinion or about it. But also it. to be a critical reader means that you question... You question... Whose point, Who's of, view point of view is it? Yes. Why am I being told this way? Why is it being Who's framed? Agen- what's, the agenda? what's the what's agenda? What's the frame behind this? What am I this? not being told? All of it. All those things are being, and which is typically yeah. something that I think, when I think about how did you, how these large sectors of, the, you know, the population are willing to kind of just take it because something, and I realize that because as long as that lie points to something that they're very much for to uphold they don't question they it. don't question it and that is the i think maybe more that maybe mm. that is more frightening to me than anything mm, okay. that because it's going for something you truly believe in you're not going to question how that's going to come about you just want to make sure that yeah that and i think there's also a particularly the right-wing part of our government wants, knows, that's why they argue that higher education is a liberal agenda, right? <laughs> because if we are yes. going to get knowledge and start to question ha- the authority right. and the power structures and the hegemony and all of it, mm-hmm. then we we have the potential potential power to displace those in power and and they're afraid of that and I think about it especially I said coming to graduate school and realizing that I don't know that I had ever been labeled as a woman of color or Mm. a very specific title or signifiers to me I I don't know that that had I I was never aware of it but Mm. coming here all of a sudden I was an artist a woman of color and I'm like what when when was I can I just not be an artist you know that's an argument that I have can I just not why do I have to have all these things I'm an artist am I not so then questioning those kind of things who's labeling you who's othering you who's Mm -hmm. who's doing the naming all these different things that are happening and I think for me is like I said that that's that's that scares me that 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 large portions of society can willingly it feels like it's willingly because obviously they're not fighting mm, it mm. to go along as long as it as long as whatever the lie is is upholding their like I said upholding their belief system yeah. um, that's scary what are you hopeful for I'm I'm hopeful I said I think for me one of the hopes if I stick with it one of the hopes is that And, and I'm going to use it more in regards to my children because I'm hoping that through what I've learned and what I've experienced that when I give them, you know, that I have conversations with them about yeah. what I'm doing that maybe I will be able to empower them, maybe not, but give them the tools mm-hmm. to also be critical thinkers and readers and, and to always be mindful as to Pay attention where the agenda, who, who's putting out the agenda. I think mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that if I continue down this path that I will be able to to have conversations with others that maybe, um, I don't say that I have all the knowledge, but I think I, I see a little bit. I, I know that, that I think 
finding for those little bits of little gaps where you see the structure, where mm-hmm. you see the power structure, be aware of where it happens, be aware that, oh, okay, that's where the agenda's coming. You know, mm-hmm. just, and yeah. sometimes, a lot of times, not because you, you, maybe you can't take it down or fight against, but I think that's how you fight against it, being mm-hmm. aware. It's a start. It's a sure, start, yeah. for sure, and I'm hoping that that is, that's my hope is that I will, being aware of it, what do you do with all this knowledge now? Well, you try and pass it on mm, and yeah. hope that someone else will, um, you know, like almost a grassroots kind of a movement, I, I think, because a lot of the times you can't, I, I said, I can't go and scream it at the top of my lungs. I can't go, sometimes they'll disregard me. Yeah, I'll be disregarded as a woman of color who is just screaming out there. Mm-hmm. But maybe if I just quietly pass the information along, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I, I'm hopeful that, that, you know, I don't know, that new generations will continue yeah. to see that. that but it's, it's hard because in my family we have very distinct political uh, views, and it is. In your immediate family, between no, in it well, in the extended family, yeah. uh-huh. and so that's a tough thing because I am seen as a liberal. I'm seen as someone who is doing mm-hmm. things that are not appropriate. Huh? That yeah. I should just be a happy wife and you know be at home. Wow. Yeah. So when that comes, it's it's. it's it's hard to have a conversation about real issues. Yeah, and it's hard to be in a position where you're fighting, disagreeing with family that you are permanently tied to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's hard, but because then it, it turns into this sense of, well, I just keep being aware. I can't just hide my head in, in the sand and say, yeah, I oh well, you keep family happy I'm not going to say anything well no <laughs> because then that becomes the, it's not just me because now there's my children too so there's a and sense they're influenced of by and they're influenced they by raised. everything yeah. yeah so it's important for me to mm-hmm. have this conversation with them because if I go back to what it means to be American I suppose I, I, mm. I think it goes back to the stereotype of what an immigrant is mm-hmm and specifically what's been said on the media as to what a Mexican immigrant is. Mm. And I think about it and I like that's that's a lie. That is definitely there is in I'm sure in every in every culture and every demographic there is elements that are gonna be up to no good. It someone's always up you know, someone yeah. someone's yeah. gonna be regardless of race or a whatever. Human issue. Human issue. And it's not, but I think for me, the idea of I have come to this country, I have tried my best to be an upstanding citizen. Mm-hmm. I don't go around breaking laws. I pay my tax. I mean, do the very stere- are they stereotypical things too? The, you follow the rules. You pay the taxes. You mm-hmm. do this and that, and and in that, I've I've never I've been critical of the country, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't spit at my country either because mm-hmm. it, I would con- and, I, and you heard me say it is my country 
Well, <laughs> it and is a lot my of country. people would argue that I at the politics and it becomes of the country is our responsibility. It's our citizens. responsibility. Yes, yeah? because I'm not, and that's our patriotism. That is exactly that is something that I know for sure that I have to be that. So I guess that could also be being an American to be able to say, "Hey, I don't like the way the country is," and it's it's and it's 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 the politicians really. Mm -hmm. I mean, my country could be amazing if it wasn't just being led <laughs> down the wrong path. But um, I think that's important. But but I also think about the fact that. I look at me and I and I know, I go, wow, we came here. I I, I see the things that we're doing as my siblings as we came here. We're doing the things that are expected or that I we assume are expected. Mm -hmm. And we're getting an education. We're hardworking. We're doing all these things that when someone says that we are a very specific thing, right? It. It blows my mind. Like you're talking about specifically when Trump says Mexicans Mexican are, are we're, rapists, drug dealers. I forget the other. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, well, bad, I'm bad hombres. <laughs> all those things I like. Well, I've seen all those stereotypes on in movies. Yeah, I for sure have seen them on TV, and I've yeah. and those are stereotypes. And do I do I believe they don't? Of course, they exist on some level. But it's not the whole of the but people. But it's not the whole of the people. My worldview, I've started to really understand this lately, and particularly I think this project has helped mm -hmm. frame this, is I think a lot of the conflicts that we have are based on fear, mm -hmm. which is based on lack of knowledge and understanding and lack of communication yes. and if we don't get to know the other we develop misinformation about them and fear of them and that and then that's where that's where everything happens and I think and, and I can see it happening down. yeah and and I know it's 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 so apparent mm -hmm. right now and and it's it's hard to fight against that because mm -hmm. that fear it's so ingrained and meshed and that fear is a powerful yeah. thing that even in the face of actual scenes, examples of something quite different than what you're being told. But if your knowledge of another culture or person is only through... Through a specific lens, media, that's it. Hollywood representations yes. or and not actual meeting of real life humans <laughs> then that's that's it's gonna it, be skewed it's gonna be skewed and and i mm. think that's the part also that the, the not questioning not being you know is there another option is there another view yeah, to this yeah. i mean um growing up for me was this sense of i saw what i mean what i grew up in and, and i always thought there's got to be more to this mm -hmm. that that kept me for a long time even as a kid Mm -hmm. when I saw the poverty when I saw hunger when it just it was there and I can't claim completely because I know that on a lot of levels I was a very lucky person mm -hmm. I I had a home I didn't go hungry I had parents there was there was all these positives but mm -hmm. uh, you know of course there's a layer of other stuff but I, 
if I look at it, if I when I look at that information, I think, or, or the images that I showed you, I was lucky. Mm. It could have been it could have been much worse. And because I go, because of that, look where I'm at. I, I said the th the choices that I've made in my life, or the things that I've accomplished in my life, it's just been maybe because of those struggles. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? You know. Yeah. So maybe that was part of the. It had. I had to go through that to be here. Yeah. You know. Well, but, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for sharing your story with me. Thank you for yeah for asking me questions and letting me do this, Thank and um, I appreciate it. Same here. Yeah.